I'm beyond the ing part of balding. <laughs> that, that is yeah, bald. I want to get there. I still Past like time. Jack. Jack Daniels' quote is like, "Going bald, shaving your head is the comb over of a new generation." I'm like, "F you, Jack. <laughs> F you." Jack are we live? Yeah, I think we, we are, are now live. live. Yeah. yeah. Ryan put us live without our consent. Yeah, yeah so. he does that a lot of without consent. So. Uh, <laughs> So if you're if you're joining the webcast today, I just want to say thank you very much for joining BHIS talking about news. Um, the majority of the people on the show today are wearing hats indoors for some reason. Um, so you may have talked about that earlier. Maybe that's the solution to the shine on the dome. Um, uh, it is the solution. Don't, yeah, don't shine you can't in the tell, but mine is mine is lined with foil. Just <laughs> actually, fun fact, and you and you guys can look this up. If you actually look at the patents of, around the the frequencies that brainwaves work at, the NSA has those patented. So, like, no one can use those specific frequencies whatsoever. The other thing that's interesting about those particular frequencies, once again, totally not making this crap up, is that tinfoil actually amplifies those frequencies. So Yay. what they believe is this is a conspiracy within a conspiracy. The NSA Yay. put all this information out there about tinfoil hats. All the people it. wearing tinfoil hats freaking amplifies brainwaves <laughs> so they can pick it up. The only way that you can be 100% sure is you got to buy gold foil, and that crap's kind of expensive. Uh, the gold but, but it's foil. worth it's it. Gold, I mean, the gold foil hats. Having people <laughs> read your thoughts or paying for a little gold foil, I don't know. But oh, one more, stick your head in a Faraday cage and you'll be good to go. What makes it all better is the on air light because that stops the, the brain. Yeah, that stops it. That stops yeah. it. You do have an on air light. That's yeah, look nice. at that. That's pretty John, you don't have one? No, I don't. No, you need one. Now, now, to me, going to be huge time. No, I think that was happen. an extra 50 no, bucks happen. for that LED. <laughs> so is, is this going to present uh, – Vanessa said hi. Hello, Vanessa. Uh, hi, Gabriel said, is this going to prevent Neuralink from reading brainwaves? No, because that's owned by the NSA too. Mm. Are we ready to actually start the show so we can actually talk about the news, Ryan? Yeah. Sure. Let's get it. Let's get it. All going. right. Let's kick it off. everybody and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security talking about news. We're going to be talking about the Microsoft print nightmare hack. We're going to be talking about how Amazon is facing an $888 million GDPR fine. We're going to be talking about Russia and ransomware again. We're going to be talking about Solar America, uh, Solar Marker, Maker, InfoStealer Malware once again making its way into the wild. In short, we have a whole bunch of things that we've got to talk about, but I'd like to introduce you to our cast of characters, which I'm just going to say, it appears to be seven grown white dudes who can't get enough of each other. We have Brian, <laughs> the shootest. <laughs> For as much as I'm trying to get diversity in training and diversity in security, it's, it's like in our training, you know, we're trying to do, it's like we come to the show, it's like, God damn, ah, all right, so, all right. So we have Ryan, the shootest who managed to keep his job for yet another week because he does an awesome job at everything that we do. We have Corey, 
who just started, like, I think today, actually. Is that right? It is. It's my first day. Yeah, it's, it's my so first day. One, so, of us, welcome. one of us. One of us. One of us. One of us. <laughs> Once again, totally not helping the white dude thing. Okay? So, <laughs> moving on to model pictures. We got Noah. Yeah, there we go. Ralph, as always, who's kind of sort of officially the co-host. Maybe I'm the co-host because he's been on more of these than I've been on. <laughs> we have Steve, who's in like his third week as well. Joff, who I'm, I'm sure a lot of you are surprised to see. We actually let Joff out of the basement from creating <laughs> malware and implants and all it kinds of out. modules for Cobalt Strike. It's like, shut up, Joff. Ryan, shut off his camera. He's supposed to get back to work. <laughs> and then myself, John Strand. I'm the owner of Black Hills Information Security. We just don't make these really cool shirts. We're ripping off Joy Division, who is ripping off an astrophysics book with neutrinos. But we also do network penetration testing. We do forensics incident response. We sell network forensics tools. Uh, we have SOC services. God, we do everything, all right? We do training. If you need something, we've got it. We're like the Walmart of computer security, but we don't have <laughs> greeters out front. Wait, I thought that was first... my job to be the greeter. You were supposed yeah, to be the well, greeter? Check the to. receipt. No, your job is to check the receipts on the way out, which oh. you can totally <laughs> ignore that, dude. Oh, don't right. don't take receipt. my retirement gig, Ralph. Don't take my retirement gig. Now, don't take it. Don't take it. It's mine. So earlier this month, we had the print nightmare vulnerability. An actor could take care, uh, take advantage of the vulnerability, get system level access. It looks like Benjamin or Gentle Kiwi basically came out and released another update, I believe, to Mimikatz that allows you to get full system privileges as well. So I wanted to ask you all, is this another situation where once people start focusing on an area... Like it, once again, in the past, you had Flash vulnerabilities, Java vulnerabilities, you had Solar Winds. Of course, all of their stuff is going being gone through with this by fine tooth comb. It it seems to me like the industry, like we are not looking for vulnerabilities consistently ac across different software platforms, but rather it's kind of like, hey, there's some vulnerabilities over here, and everyone's like, well, that looks like it's coded like garbage, and everybody kind of like dogpiles on top of that specific space. Mm -hmm. Well, remember how it was originally released, right? It was someone who thought it was, oh, this bug's public. And then they released their version of it that was a different bug, right? So it's like, <laughs> you know, classic. There's so many bugs that people are like, oh, yeah, I heard about this one. They just publish it. And it was another new bug that was, you know, oops, zero day. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, my favorite my favorite quote from the Microsoft security team was, this was probably about six years ago. You know, Microsoft had gone like almost a decade without a remotely exploitable vulnerability. And uh, somebody from the sec Microsoft security team told me, look, we believe that we have enumerated all attackable space on the Microsoft kernel. And we have this thing completely locked down. And he said it unironically without joking. Like, he honestly thought that this had been taken care of. But to his, to his credit, we were talking that day about buffer overflow, heap overflow, traditional like exploitation vulnerabilities. These are a little bit more, they're kind of off that beaten path. So we may have been right about that, but we're going to have vulnerabilities for a long time. Yeah, this print nightmare, the one that specifically we're looking at here is interesting because it's, um, it's a driver that any user can install a printer. So yeah. when you browse to this uh, website that he has linked here, um, it'll actually install a print driver for you and elevate you from user to system. So it's pretty scary that somebody could do that in pretty much any network and serve up a print driver that you could then install on a system, right? Yeah. And, privileges. 
and Benjamin's kind of a frightening dude. I don't know if anybody's aware of this, but at the last DerbyCon, he gave his keynote presentation in his underwear. Not that it's relevant. <laughs> not that it's relevant to this conversation. It's just for those of you that are new to the industry, that's what we call texture um, or inside baseball, which you probably didn't want to know. Actually, yeah, see, um, one of the things we were talking about is: is this is it recommended to disable the print spool entire component on like a DC just out of curiosity and like any hardening guidelines? Just it seems kind so of unnecessary. This one's actually a little bit different. Print nightmare yeah. is installing a print driver um, with the print spooler attack. Yeah, that's a this like you said. There were several bugs released around the same time because um, they all kind of revolve around this the whole print driver. Um, I love printers. Yeah, I love printers. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, hey, if we would have gone back a month and a half ago, and I asked, I queried you all on your on your like what you felt about printers. You would all just say, "Oh, printers are the worst thing ever." Now, because we're pen testers, are like, "Oh, printers are awesome." Yeah, we, we like printers. Now. We like printers. <laughs> I, know, I love now. them. I love them. They're the best thing to happen to uh, Microsoft, and I don't know, like red months. teaming, and yeah, a couple of months now. Um, but Ben also released a couple of uh, group policy settings to stop his specific attack. One was called package point and print and setting up approved servers. And then, of course, disable outbound access to SMB, RPC, CIFS. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he means by outbound. Does he mean outbound access on the local network even or just to the Internet as well? So we'll have to see. Yeah, I don't think you're going to stop SMB on the uh, domain controller internally. No, 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 I don't. I don't think that's going to happen that You can. You can. (laughs) You can do a lot of things that will break your stuff. Yes, that's correct. Anything is possible. It just might cost you. We might as well all just be using Max at that point for God's sake. So, <laughs> he said it, so, not me. Somebody he just said, did I hear someone's ring notification? Probably. I don't know. Yeah, I don't um, have one. So. I've got stacks of crap in the basement. I've got light bulbs. He has doorbells. That just doorbells and, and <laughs> flapping my arms around. And it's picking up the motion and going off. So, yeah. Like I said, watch this space for a little bit longer. And I think that this will be interesting for the exploit dev community, probably for probably another month or so. And then there'll be some new shiny vulnerability. I'm predicting Oracle. I'm just going to go out on a limb. Somebody's going to find some Oracle vulnerabilities. (laughs) It's been a long time since David Lynchfield has been releasing a ton of vulnerabilities. And then Chris Gates released a bunch of vulnerabilities. So um, I I guess we're just going to have to sit tight. But if I had to pick a company, that really needs more vulnerabilities and more scrutiny. I'm going to have to choose Oracle, always Oracle. So we'll see if that prediction actually comes true. Good choice. The next story I want to talk about is the Amazon faces $888 million GDPR fine. The reason why I want to talk about this story is it, it's not directly security related as like a print spooler vulnerability, right? But this gets into how we are actually going to fashion ourselves in the industry moving forward over the next, let's say, five to 10 years for that particular event horizon. And this concerns me, right? Because you have GDPR, you have the EU that are creating specific requirements and guidance on how personally identifiable information can be protected. And if there's a breach, what are the fines associated with it? And this one's interesting because there was not a breach. They basically were just looking at what Amazon was collecting on people and then basically saying, hey, what Amazon is collecting is in violation of the uh, GDPR uh, the statutes, requirements that are in the EU. 
and they basically just dropped this monstrous fine on top of them. Now, my my concern on this, like, I, I kind of want to open it up to everybody for just a couple of seconds here. Is this GDPR thing, is this actually a good thing or is this the point where GDPR has officially jumped the shark and it's now in trouble? Because I liked it as a accountability framework. If somebody gets hacked, they could be fined. I don't, I, I don't want to take sides with Amazon on this because, you know, last episode was the Jeffrey Bezos phallic symbol episode. Uh, <laughs> but, but in this particular episode, I do want to ask everybody, I, once again, the, taking Amazon out of it, I don't want to take their side, but proactively going after companies and basically saying, oh, you're not protecting data well enough or you're collecting data without getting proper authorization. Is this a good path to go down? Is it a bad path to go down? Because you know Microsoft and, and Google are watching this very closely. My open question is, why did they pick Amazon to throw the fine on first? You know, I think, I think they've tried this a little bit with Google. From the good thing versus bad thing, I'm going to have a biased opinion because I'm really on the side of promoting strong data privacy rights, and I don't have a problem with the GDPR. In fact, I think we should have an equivalent legal framework in the United States, and I wish we did. But that's really not information security comment. That's more of a, a data privacy comment. Amazon has a lot of money. Maybe they're just like, oh, yeah, they'll pay it. It's fine. They're not going to fight it. But it does say untested interpretations of European privacy law. So maybe they're like, Amazon's a good, they're like going back to the well. All right, well, we tried it with Google and we got shut down. Let's, I guess, try it with Amazon. I don't know. Yeah, kind of the trial balloon uh, for yeah. the entire thing. The thing I think it's interesting about that is it's an untested interpretation. Let's hash this out in the European courts. Um, so. <laughs> I don't know if I want to give GDPR the home field advantage on that one. So anyone else, there was like four people that had comments. So go ahead. So is this affecting the end user or uh, corporations? Because I would think like end users are opting into the services that Amazon is providing, right? So wouldn't this be... And, and I think that that's part of the rub is end users are opting in, but I don't think that they believe Amazon is being completely transparent on exactly what it is that they're actually opting in on. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It says I, advertising, relevant, relevant advertising. Well, I think so, so John, John's nailed it right there, though. It's important to point this out. While the end user might have opted in, there, there is no transparency as to how much of the end user's data has been taken, manipulated, and used for profit purposes. And that's where the real issue is. And that needs to be brought forward publicly. And I'm actually glad the GDPR is jumping on this shit and pushing it. I wish we were doing the same thing in the States and starting to, be, to push back uh, because it is, frankly, just straight up surveillance capitalism robbery of all of our data. And well, it's well, let's get on that surveillance capitalism thing. The show Social Dilemma, there's been a number of books written about the topic. One of the things that I find very interesting about this is whenever people start going pushing on Amazon, like if you really try to technically figure out what the hell is going on with the algorithms, even at Amazon, even at Google, at some point they're like, I don't freaking know. So we created these artificial intelligence algorithms. They're collecting and they're correlating all of this data. Oh, you like Kit Kats. Well, there's a good chance that you might be a racist or something weird like that where they're finding these really bizarre connections. And it becomes like the self-coding problem where you know, artificial intelligence is trying to optimize it for specific individuals. And I, I think that Amazon and Google, I don't think it's a good tact, but you can go to court and be like, we have no freaking clue. Uh, we wrote this thing called Skynet. And I don't know. Uh, I, it's just doing its own thing now. We don't know exactly, but I know the courts won't like that. 
But I think that this gets into kind of what Joff was talking about. Part of the fear that we have is that loss of control. And whenever I say loss of control, I don't mean me personally losing control, but I mean like literally all of us losing control. And these algorithms just are controlling us in ways that we just do not understand. Well, I'd say in a different way, we would never have granted control. That, that's, Actually, I disagree. I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that because I remember whenever Amazon – this was a number of years ago. They were basically – they put up something like, hey, we're just going to buy you something. Set a dollar limit of like $50 a month. We'll buy you something and we'll ship it to you and it will be a surprise. And god damn, Amazon was nailing it out of the park every single month with me. Um, that was really cool. Also, as far as like advertisements, people like that. You know, The one-click thing, the advertisements where it's right exactly what you're looking for. I think that a lot of people – Whenever you look at the reality of this makes your life very easy, you just go to Amazon, you click, and then the thing shows up two to three days later, they're going to accept that over their privacy. And that's a concern that I have. Yeah, perhaps I've misphrased that. I, probably the, the real issue here is you know, the average user of any of these services doesn't know how much control they are actually ceding over to these various corporations. And that uh, might be at the heart of the GDPR thing here as well. Yeah. yeah. For me, the, the, this all goes back to back in my teen years i guess when i had facebook the the, the thing about it was was like i remember when so, facebook was free so and it wasn't necessary i know I so um, make, make an ageist <laughs> joke i'm just going <laughs> go ahead you, you won't hurt my feelings but the, the point being is like i i remember when i don't know if you guys remember this entirely probably but if you were on facebook and you watch it like there was that time where facebook's like okay we're gonna have to start charging people for this like we can't keep this free forever and the ads were relatively limited for the most part and everyone started posting to their walls, like, if you copy and paste this on your wall, like, you won't be charged for Facebook. And, and basically, they saw that they're like, okay, hold on, nobody wants this. So what, what else can we do to make money? Because we need to make money. We're a business. Yeah. So then they went down the route of the surveillance capitalism and selling your data and personalized ads. And people, like, that was when it kind of all started to go downhill as, as far as I was concerned. So we had control at one point, and we seeded it at that point, and we haven't looked back ever since to say... Wait, but, this has grown way further than we ever imagined when we were just like, we don't want to pay for Facebook. But but let's look, let's talk about that control a little bit more. Um, and this gets into, you know, you can get into the market space and things like that as well. One of the reasons why Facebook is so incredibly popular is because it's so incredibly easy, right? If you look at businesses, there's a ton of freaking businesses that I want to call them. And whenever I go to Google or wherever and I click on go to their website, it takes me to their Facebook business page. And that drives me insane. And it pops up and it's like, whoa, do you want to log into your Facebook account or would you like a new one? I'm like, neither, <laughs> goddammit. Facebook is not the internet. I get a new one every single time. <laughs> but, that's, but that's just it, right? You know, we all wanted this internet to be amazing. We wanted people to have access to it. We wanted people to be able to create their own pages. And we wanted to be able to get information out. We wanted to consume information at a much higher rate. And we literally got everything we asked for. It's like a freaking monkey's paw. And as Joff was talking about, Noah, you were talking about the capitalism side of it is they needed to make money. But there's a hell of a bit of difference between needing to make money and literally making hundreds of billions of dollars. And I think that right. that's kind of where things are getting lost. What started with like we just needed enough to front our operating cost is now progressed into <laughs> like, oh, wait, we can make way more off of this. And then. After Facebook did that, I, I, I see Facebook as the one that kind of started this whole thing. And it, they, they're the one I yeah. attributed to anyhow. Google saw like, oh, wait, we should do that. We have a hundred and we have thousands of people that, you know, hit our, our search engine every minute. 
we can surely monetize on that. And then they brought that to YouTube. Amazon started doing it. That's yeah. And there gets to be a point like, you know, we, we need to set up certain limits like, you know, okay. So my house is paid for my kids. College is covered. My cars are paid for. Okay. That's good. To the point where you have a yacht and your yacht is so big that it has docking stations (laughs) for support yachts. There's, got to, be, there's yeah. got to be something. There's got well, to be something. On the yacht. We go back to how does all this work? And they're like, I don't freaking know. We wrote an algorithm and it just kind of <laughs> took off. Is well, there anything about this that seems like a bad idea, folks? Nah, there, let's roll The other it. thing too, it's not just the money. It's also like where you take that and then buying influence, right? So buying oh, yeah. you know, wall to make this the way you want it. And like, you know, you can't... You can't sue Google. You can't sue Amazon. There's nothing you can do. They're so big. Like, it doesn't matter if they do something that's egregious. It's just like, that's cost of doing business to them at this point. Like, you know, you you can't actually hurt, like you can't prevent them from, you know, taking over. And that's actually why one of the the current movements for Amazon, for example, like the anti, or uh, like the monopolistic nature that they've produced and, you know, pretty much coming down to the point where they're going to, you probably have to make a decision whether they either run a store or that they're not, if they want to be a third party, then they can't participate in the same store. Because a lot of the stuff they're doing right now, for example, is Amazon is they're producing products on that store and then out, you know, finding the new product that some other company or somebody else sells as a third party, making an alternative and then, you know, taking over. It's it's wild, right? Mm -hmm. And they do it with the dumbest things. They do it with like freaking umbrellas. Like there was a company that was selling umbrellas and they're like, well, we know of the Amazon umbrella. And it's like, congratulations, (laughs) you're out of business. Well, and the Um, buying of that influence goes way further, right? Remember, That that uh, folks like Google are, are directly engaged, and there are others that are in this too, in the IETF and rewriting the fundamental standards that the internet is based on, which means they're essentially taking over the network. Now, oh, do we so, really want that? <laughs> so let, let's give an example, Jeff. I want to give an example. You remember Rsnake years ago? He did a whole bunch of research on cross-site scripting vulnerability, not just cross-site scripting. It was all kinds of web application vulnerabilities. And the guy's a genius, right? And, you know, one of the conversations that we we kind of had in the community was whenever you have a web vulnerability, let's say in a browser like cross-site scripting, you will have a conversation that basically comes up and says, we can actually fix cross-site scripting, at least a good percentage of it in the browser. But whenever you get to cross-site request forgery, it's like, oh, that shit's never going to be fixed. And, and I want to explain why, right? So cross-site scripting is where a server is reflecting something back to the browser, and the code actually executes within the browser itself, right? So you'll basically say, hey, browser, give me your cookie. And you can send it off to another website. You can send that to an attacker's website. They'll have your session identifier. With cross-site request forgery, you're making that browser do a request on another server. And the the reason why this matters and the reason why what Joff brought up is so important, this is a solid example, is we can freaking fix cross-site request forgery, except it's going to shut down every single CDN and every single ad provider on the internet overnight. Because if you lose the ability for that browser to go to a website, and load content from multiple other websites, as far as ad servers, as far as loading things from Akamai, you've completely broken the entire business model of the internet in one file swoop. So when Joff's talking about these people sitting on the boards and designing internet technologies, trust me, their number one concern is not security. Exactly. 
their, their number one concern is maintaining their profit motive. And th- this is uh, um, this actually comes back to a lot of conversations that, frankly, Paul Vixie brings to our conferences a lot, saying we need to continue those open standards on the Internet. And he's right on this. If we allow very large corporate entities to actually take over the Internet governing bodies, we have lost the Internet entirely. And I think yeah. for Paul Vixie, whenever he presents at our conferences again, and he's going to, I think what's going to happen is when people come funneling into our conference to see Paul talk, we're basically going to have a table there with a bunch of drugs. And it's going to be like, so what's your drug of choice? Oh, I'm a drinker. Okay, here's some scotch. Uh, what's your drug of choice? I'm big into pot. Okay, cool. We got some Pakistani purple right down there. That's for you. Um, what's your drug of choice? Heroin? You're going to need it, buddy. What's your drug of choice? Oh, I don't do any drugs. Great. We'll assign one for you. Here you go. Because when you're done with uh, with a Paul Vixie, no, that's Dan Kaminsky that passed away. Uh, yeah. Lucky number seven. It was, it was Dan Paul. Kaminsky. Yeah. Paul's still alive and kicking and riding motorcycles because when you go to Paul's talks, there's some of the most depressing freaking talks in the world because this is a dude that was there when the magic was made and it was made in the basements of places like this. And now all of a sudden that's all being taken away from us. And that has security implications for sure. Well, also, weren't they going to block all third-party cookies at one point? And they were like, no, let's not do that because of money. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was actually, I think, that came up. I'm not sure. I might be getting this wrong. That was one of those things that originally came up in Firefox. They were talking about doing that, and uh, that got shot down real fast. So yeah. They're like, yeah. hey, we talked to the accountants, and they said no. <laughs> well, and, and, and just for a second, I mean, let's say Firefox went through and did that because – you know, they they tend to sometimes do stuff like that where they started saying like, hey, no, we are going to block all third party cookies in our browser. What would you see? You would then go to Amazon.com and be like, looks like you're using Firefox. We highly recommend you use Google Chrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Use the Amazon browser. Yeah, yeah. use the Amazon browser. Do you like Firefox? You're going to love this browser. Um, it's the exact same thing as I'm sitting here. Firefox using does not work properly on our website, but if you move to these alternatives, right, they'll, ki- they'll just try to kill it though. Like if, if you go buck against them and like, if you try to fight them, just like you were saying, you can't sue them. You can't even really even try to go buck against no, it. I think we can try and go against it. We just have to have a big enough community voice. I, I, oh, sure. yeah. I, I, I see. I, so I see it. This is God damn. I can't believe I'm going to argue with Joff because he's being optimistic. That almost <laughs> never happens ever. <laughs> I, I, I'm optimistic for a different reason. I disagree with Morpheus 01736. I disagree with Joff. I, I do not think it's one of those things where we get enough people to create an uproar. I think something catastrophically bad has to happen. Like all of the customer profiles for Amazon, everything, credit card details and purchasing history gets leaked. That type of thing is what finally gets people's attention. And I think that that's the only way that we as a society actually learn. And even at that, I'm still dubious. Oh, you yeah. hold on, John. You mean like an Equifax breach? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but even at that, you look at Equifax. Where's the Equifax data? Can I go download it? No, because it was Russian. It was Russia. It was, See? It was definitely Russian. So there is a huge difference. There's a huge difference between a breach like Equifax and a breach where like this data is actually available and someone could go sifting through it. I mean, Ralph has freaking computers in the background, and I think Steve helps him with this, that are going through these third-party data breaches and pulling this data down and pulling it in. But we haven't had a monstrous level data breach for quite a while where all this information isn't just breached, but it's publicly accessible. 
John, yeah. recently LinkedIn was not breached. This is how bad it's getting, okay? LinkedIn wasn't even breached. They weren't hacked. All they did was scrape the data and it might as well have been a breach. They were calling yes. it a breach. Yep. Because it was all because it's all public. Like that's how much data one organization has on yep. Same Facebook's with Facebook. like, we don't identify this as a breach. It's just this is user, not a breach. It's just this all is user, data. It's just all it's just all users' mobile numbers. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. You can already guess those. Just start with one, two, <laughs> one. <laughs> all numbers. It's just a series of ones is ones and zeros. Just put them it's in the right home order. Home addresses, personal preference. It's fine. This stuff's not important. What's your favorite That's dog? Public. We, yeah. we have an algorithm that can pull that in four seconds. It's fine. Yeah. 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 This is nothing. This is nothing. Well, Google already knows does. this about you. That yeah. does kind of go back to the whole the users aren't even aware of what they're giving away. I mean, because you see it on the social media, too, like, oh, well, here's a whole list of things that you can fill in. Like, what was your, you know, boy, first boyfriend's name? What was your cat's name? Like, meanwhile, like some guy receives this form. And he's like, oh, good. Let's go see what John did. So Kevin Johnson, <laughs> people just get away. Kevin Johnson had a presentation called Social Zombies Want to Eat Your Brains. Yeah. And uh, in this presentation, he was creating apps. And the the apps would say, you know, please tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your mother's maiden name? What street did you grow up on? All of those things. Well, Facebook shut that down and he got a few hundred people to fill that crap out on this Facebook app. And he then I think it was him or maybe it was somebody else took that one step further. And it was like, how well do you know your friends? Put in a friend's <laughs> name and put in their mother's maiden name, what street they went, what, what street they grew up on yeah. and uh, what, uh, what, what was their primary school. And it was amazing how many people literally filled that stuff out unironically. Like they were like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, well, I know John. Uh, John went to this particular school and he went to this. <laughs> I grew up with John and I'm using that. Because I literally had friends that I, that I went to grade school with that was filling that crap out on my behalf. And after a short <laughs> period of time, yeah. Kevin was like, dude, this is your mother's maiden name. This is the street you grew up on. This is the school yeah, you went yeah. to. It was that easy. Yeah. yeah I think John. my favorite one of those was I, there was a video somewhere on YouTube or something. And it was someone asking people basically to tell them what their passwords were. And it was yeah. effectively like to be like, all right, hey, can I can I ask you a few questions? Like, what's your mother's maiden name? And they'd tell you that. And they're like, OK, so if you were then it got to the point where they're like, if you were to, like, make a password, what would you normally use for your password? And they'd be like, well, I, I would usually use cat. like a number, a number yeah, like and then my cat's name. And they'd be like, oh, yeah. what's your cat's name? And they'd be like, oh, my cat's name is Fluffy. Oh, what's, what's your favorite number? Forty two. Oh, born? yeah, <laughs> that's one uh, of the things I hate about. I hate about Mr. Robot is Mr. Robot makes this crap look hard. Like, you know, breaking into Storm Mountain. It's like, we've done that, like, thing. And it's like, that wasn't that hard. Like, it really, really it, wasn't. It is. So. It is insane how many people do like those little online surveys. Like, oh, tell what kind of Harry Potter character would you be, right? You could just throw questions in like that, you know, or like yeah. it, it's insane how you could hide that information, right? Those questions. And yeah, people but, love it too. They're like, oh, oh, yeah, no, this is interesting. What, what, what kind of Harry Potter character would I be? All right. <laughs> I, I one time as a joke posted something. It was along the lines of like, what's your stormtrooper number? Like add SN dash and then your social security oh, no. number. Oh, and no. then I had like a family member actually reply to it. I'm like, no, you need to take this down like right now. Right now. <laughs> this was a bad idea. It's kind of like so that. I guess, yeah. Joff, are we coming around to we're just screwed? Because now I'm starting to believe after talking to the quorum. I'm I'm afraid that even if there's a massive breach, all it takes is like, hey everybody, we feel real bad about it. 
We're going to give you two free years of free credit reporting and a smoothie. <laughs> we need. All right. So everyone's going to be like, oh, smoothies. Well, look, look, I, just in, in my defense, I have to remain an optimist because the, the reality is I would take all the drugs on the way into the talk. I mean, <laughs> on the way to Paul's <laughs> So, Mr. Thire, I mean, Mr. Thire, one, one, Mr. Thire. Just one, so. choose one. And the other thing I would encourage everybody to do is just get a little educated about this particular issue. There's two things that I would recommend. And one is go out and, and watch that movie, The Great Hack, that Netflix put out. It's about the Cambridge Analytica stuff, and it's an amazing, an amazing compilation. And the other one is, is read The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by oh, Shoshana yes. Zuboff. Yes, that's yeah. a great one. Uh, um, and that's, that's a big one. book. It's a heavy read, but it will open your eyes. And well, then, of course, read about Stuxnet. Countdown to zero day. You've always got to read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to. Got to. All right. What other stories do we have? Or was that the last one today? No. We had some other ones. More? Let's get some other That was only the second one, John. Oh, my God. Solar Maker, InfoStealer, Malware. We blew half the show on, on one story. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had to stop. Uh, is we had to is stop. this the new thing now? Just take solar and just add something to the end, and that's mm-hmm. the malware of some sort, or solar what, you know? Solar found it. Solar did it. I, I don't know. One of the things that, that I wanted to talk about is, so this is a highly modular .NET based information stealer and keylogger. And I wanted to ask, like, you know, we have these phases in security where at the beginning, everyone was using Perl. If you go back to Rainforest Puppy um, and Whisker, you, you were all using Perl. The original version That's of Metasploit was written in Perl. Then it moved over to Ruby. A ton of people used Ruby for like two weeks. They said, F that, HD more, you're insane. And then they moved to uh, Python, and Python was the weapon of choice for a long time. We now have some people using Golang. And it seems to me like all the cool kids are using .NET. And I wanted, and I think I've got a great group of people here to talk about why is .NET such uh, an, an attractive platform for attackers? Well, I mean, if I, I'm looking at this article, and the, what they're saying is .NET looks to me like it's PowerShell. And it loads uh, loads a DLL that might be .NET, but from an attacker standpoint, uh, .NET's great uh, along with PowerShell as well because it's you know it's on the system. So if you're phishing a user or um, you know moving laterally or something like that, you know that that's probably going to have .NET built into the system, and you can attack accordingly. But we've seen over the last couple of years a lot of the vendors hooking with uh, NMLware scanning interface and things like that to where these what were once memory resident attacks are now being uh, detected and, and blocked. So it was, I think, around 2015, 2016, PowerShell really took off. And then we switched to .NET and things are kind of just moved. And sometimes what's old is new again. We're back to C and C++. It just kind of evolves over time. And I think we'll see um, the landscape continue to change. And But .NET, it's not going away. We'll, we'll, we'll continue to see. Uh, adversaries use things like this uh, for a long time to come. The real question is, what percentage of this was pulled from GitHub from your from your repos? Ninety-nine percent was all from yeah, C. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've seen specifically bite bleeders. Like Marcello's like, boy, there sure seems to be a lot of downloads in my GitHub repository out of <laughs> Russia. <laughs> and you know, you're talking about boolang and that type of stuff, and and like you know, how Marcello did that nested coding languages. Mm-hmm. I think it makes it more difficult from a reverse engineering perspective, just because .NET is so flexible. And we go back to jokes of Steve Ballmer going, developers, 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 developers. And there's something to be said whenever an operating system literally goes, and a company 
literally goes out of its way to try to meet every single developer where they're at and opening up all these different APIs, supporting all of these different languages. And you, you, you kind of create a really pretty nifty attack surface for that platform. Because isn't Microsoft now talking about bundling Python by default in the operating system in the near future? Well, yeah, and we're also talking about uh, implementing Android and iOS apps as well. Yeah, the Dolphin, uh -huh. the Dolphin emulator is going to be built into 11 so you can run iOS, or not iOS, Android apps natively. Ooh, so much fun. That, that's why it completely blows my mind whenever they're like, oh, well, Intel and Windows 11 is going to have this TPM that you have to have installed. Because, you know, running security on the microchip itself is where we need to be. It's like, Hold up, we've yeah. got a whole crap ton of other problems we we haven't even begun to solve, and what you just talked about doesn't solve a damn one of them. So, but but remember, John, they solved all of the remotely exploitable code in Microsoft Windows. Yeah, yeah it's all, of all of those are done, so we don't have to worry about buffer overflows and things like that. Right, so that exactly. Yeah, no, it's totally fixed everything. A lot of stuff that appeals to people about the C or about the .NET framework that appeals to like normal developers that Microsoft markets it like it's cost effective. It integrates with all the operating system stuff natively you can just spin up and go. That works for malware developers too, right? They're like exactly. cost effective. Well, we need to make X amount on this malware to pay for all these developers. So, I mean, yeah, so it, it goes both ways. I mean, I'd like to jump in and make a comment. The, the, the nice thing about .NET is on the high level, you get a tremendous amount in the framework in terms of flexible, usable APIs, including encryption, by the way. You know, like a full, if you want AES encryption in your malware, you could just use it, for example, right? Which is something that, you know, a lot of us probably want, right? I write malware quite a lot. Yeah. The other, the other thing is the, the embedding concept is, is nice, right? You can have .NET within .NET within .NET uh, and, and go into lay layers and layers of obfuscation. And then the... The other one, and, and uh, Schmoz on the chat to actually put it out there, is because of all the integrated support into the operating system, that living off the land capability sort of comes built in with, with .NET. So if you throw an assembly over onto something, you've got a lot of options for running it you know, natively in the operating system, which is kind of cool, right? So, and now it's got multi-platform. Remember, .NET has got to, um, you know, got to .NET Standard and .NET Core, and it's Android, Linux, the whole bit. Not only that, on the Python side, uh, Guido Van Rossum, and, and people might not have noticed this tweet, but I picked up on it, is working for Microsoft now. Guido is the original Python author, you know, the original, the, the guy, right, that started the Python project. So Python will probably make its way into Windows at some point. I, I don't think Guido's over there just twiddling his thumbs, right? <laughs> uh, so it's going to be interesting times. Oh, and AMSI? It's easy to turn AMSI off, by the way. Love, hate, don't, I don't know that I care about AMSI. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about that, Josh? It's like UAC. Like like, it's not considered a security boundary. Yeah, it's like dropping. It's like dropping a carrot. I got to follow it up now. Um, so, like, Josh shows up, hand grenade, runs away. It's like, what the <laughs> hell was that about? <laughs> Boom! Later. Right, go ahead. So remember, AMSI DLL uh, is is loaded on a on a per process basis, right? So if you have a .NET binary that you're running or a .NET assembly that you're running and you load up AMC DLL, you can actually patch the scan buffer routine in your code to ignore the uh, code that the .NET reflection assembly.load method uses, right? So uh, what, what, let me back up a minute. What framework 4.8 did, which is .NET framework 4.8, before they went into this, you know, multi-platform standard stuff, 
is they integrated AMSI scanning into any time that you load a .NET assembly. And that was a direct response to what we were doing in the security community because we moved away from PowerShell, right? We were like, oh, crap, PowerShell is getting busted all over the place because they've hooked it all into Defender and AMSI and everything else. So we moved you know, lock, stock, and barrel over to .NET, and everybody was starting to code things in C Sharp. Well, there is in the reflection assembly a, a method called assembly.load. And assembly.load did not originally run things through the anti-malware scanning interface. Essentially, it's called the AMSI scan buffer routine or scan string. There's two, two methods in there. Scan buffer is what you care about because that's the one that would, would scan the binary DLL content looking for potentially malicious .NET assemblies. It's, on a, it's, in, it's in a per-process basis that that AMSI DLLs in memory. So what you can do is actually just overwrite the scan buffer opcodes that look at the length of the buffer that you're scanning and just write a zero in there. So now AMSI thinks it's scanning a zero-length buffer and AMSI's happy. And you can and, do uh, this. You can do this you can as do a this standard on a per user, process. right? Yeah, you standard don't... user because you're doing it on a per process basis. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's that's fun. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Um, Yay. So AMC <laughs> and Microsoft responded saying, "Look, th this is this was like a, you know, a nice to have, but not a. This is not the only depth of our security. They did that. There kind you go. Of this is as good as it gets." Oh yeah. my God! See, I, I was that. really, yeah. I was really hoping you would say it was a feature, actually, but oh well. Well, yeah, and, and, and this gets into. I think I talked about it last week. Josh Wright's law, which is, you know, a lot of the stuff doesn't get fixed until there's a module in Metasploit for it. So, you know, maybe maybe Metasploit needs. It wouldn't be an encoder, but something like an encoder. There are evasion techniques that just, you know, does that. And then like, oh crap! It's push of a button, and anyone can do it. Um, <laughs> we might need to fix that, ladies and gentlemen. You know what I, what I think is more interesting, but it's a longer discussion, is when Microsoft tried to kick all the uh, anti-malware vendors out of the kernel. Uh, and this is Vista days. Yeah, they, that's they, right. Mm -hmm. When they, they introduced by McAfee, I think. Well, it doesn't surprise me. They introduced PatchGuard, and they prevented the anti-malware vendors from hooking the uh, service descriptor table and the global descriptor table, if I remember the names correctly. I have to go reference that for myself. But anyway, basically, they prevented the antivirus and, and anti-malware companies from hooking things at the kernel layer. What it drove them all into is drove them into user land, which forces them to do per-process hooking, you know, especially in the EDR space, which they do do. Do-do? Uh, anyway. Do-do. Um, and then the anti-malware slash EDR companies go ahead and write a signed kernel driver to get them back into the kernel space, but that can only do limited things with that. And, and, and that, that, was, a, and that yeah. was a compromise. If I remember correctly, Microsoft. That's a compromise, and because and, and yeah, 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 McAfee and Semantic in the background, from what I heard, were actually threatening Microsoft and basically saying, "Look, if you don't allow us in to the kernel, what we're going to do is we're just going to write exploits for the kernel to get us access to the kernel to do what we need to do." And then <laughs> Microsoft threatened to sue and said, "That's under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, you can't do that." And then they responded back, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act has a provision in it that says that you can reverse engineer for the purpose of interoperability. So there's a lot of political back and forth that actually went down with all of that. That's but right. Yeah, basically boiled down to, well, you give us a code signing certificate, we'll, we'll, we'll allow it in. And that's basically that. But they didn't get it into everywhere. Microsoft's assertion was by keeping people in the kernel, they were destabilizing their operating system. And I think that is a correct assertion. But, you know, uh, one way or the other, that's yep. what happened. And yep. uh, so that's the land we live in today. And it's kind of interesting. 
you might be able to tell I spent a lot of time looking at this stuff. Yeah. Back to the dark place, Joff. Back to the dark place. No, no, dude, thank you so much. No, no, no. So, (laughs) and that's kind of what I wanted out of the .NET thing. This kind of a conversation. It's some of the, and I think Joff brought up a lot of really good points. Once again, why attackers want to go there is because there is here is everywhere. It's in the operating system. And Steve mentioned this and Corey mentioned this as well. It's just, that's a great language because not just what the language can do, but all the hooks and the interfaces that you have with the operating system itself. So any other final final news stories? Did we talk about Petit Potam at all? We did oh, last yeah. week. We talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we did. Okay. Did we talk about the uh, the Russia's, the R- Russia's oh, new God, form of organized right. crime? We did before we went live. We probably should. Go ahead, Ralph. Oh, yeah. Just that uh, their new, uh, this is a New York Times article, so sorry for the paywall. But uh, that the uh, the article is talking about how Russia's organized crime is kind of menacing the world, right? Like their acceptance and kind of like turning a blind eye to their organized crime, doing all the ransomware attacks is, you know, kind of a bunch of punks on the Internet kind of thing, right? Messing uh-huh. with every other country, messing with uh, intelligence agencies and other kinds of like law enforcement agencies, having to try to figure out who it was only to find out it's people in Russia and hopefully you don't go to Prague because that's the only place we can catch them, right? Yep. So that's kind of what the article is about and how much money it's costing us, right? Like it's not free. It's not a, you know, it, it is a big disruption. And then, you know, where that can go from here, right? Like how do we prevent it from happening or you know, like limit it? And right now we don't have a whole lot of options. And that's like, you know, the thing before the show was like, does it go to war or something like that? So. Well, is there any like national policy at all about like, do we negotiate with ransomware actors? Like, but the Kaseya <laughs> thing it was interesting. Like they were like, oh, 70 mil or whatever. Like, it, could we just like band together and pay it? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, is that what they were trying to go for? Where they're like, all right, we're just going to gnash like the USA just writes a check to like buy all the, I don't know. It's just like, do we negotiate with the ransomware actors or not? I don't really know. What the, is there a national level policy on that? I feel like there's not. But, but it, it, I think at some point, you know, you, you, you get to the problem of escalation. You know, how far do you escalate? Because, you know, if you're looking at China, you're looking at Russia, working through third party intermediaries for trying to break into places, whether it's, you know, the NSA, the NRO, FBI, CIA, Department of Justice, wherever, they're definitely working through intermediaries because that kind of, quote unquote, keeps their hands clean. But if you have ransomware authors that are kind of protected by Russia launching that attack, if you're nation state to nation state, how the hell do you escalate that, right? Do you go to Russia and then start doing sanctions? Do you get to the point where it starts getting yeah. kinetic? I think that that's the difficulty is this is so asymmetric and it's so difficult to say, okay, well, if you do this, then we're going to do a trade embargo. It, it, yeah, it gets I think that's really hard. I think that's what we're going to start seeing. We're not going to see like attacks. We're just going to see like turns in the like sanctions, trade embargoes, other ways. Like we have other knives we can kind of turn, I guess. And they're not going to be, you know, starting a war you know, it'll be making those sanctions. And the other thing too, is that it's not just America, right? It'll be other countries that are more closely tied with Russia's, uh, you know, overall like lifeblood, right? And, you know, how effective that is, who knows? I I don't know. I I have no idea. I'm just saying those are probably the first things we do though. Or Or we'll see the internet completely balkanized, which I've been predicting for a long time where countries just say, screw it. We're running a network for our country and nowhere else. Yeah. 
if there's a, if there's a cyberspace mm. race, what are we racing towards? iPhone remote root? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like, wouldn't it be interesting if you were just like, well, my policy now at the company is I block all IPs from Russia, right? So, like, you know, but, I don't know. That's probably not going to help that much, but you know, no. But and guard. And honestly, like my concern about where this goes, like if we're looking at escalation, I don't think the United States can escalate very well. I don't think that most westernized countries can escalate very well. But if you look at escalation on China and Russia and Iran, um, North Korea, oh my God, it's the axis of evil, which is just for the record would have been a badass punk rock name. But what I'm saying is those sides can continue to escalate. And my fear is that the blood is in the water. And a lot of those countries know that they can severely impact the infrastructure, not just in Ukraine, but also in the United States. And my biggest fear is we get into a really bad blizzard, snowstorm, heat wave uh, down in the southwest, something like that happens, and they end up shutting down entire power grids. That scares the living hell out of me because that isn't just possible. That's on the table. That is more than likely a skill set that these countries have that they can use. And I don't believe that Western countries like the United States are in a position to where they can react to that very well. Because right now, having conversations with lots of organizations, anytime, um, what the hell? Let's pick on Center for Internet Security because that's fun. If we look at Center for Internet Security, they, kind of, they, tick, they took the controls over from the SANS Institute, and there were questions about two-factor authentication. And the question was, should we make two-factor authentication, something that is absolutely a, a requirement. And the, the people that won out at Center for Internet Security were the people that said, that's eh, pretty onerous on some companies. That'd be really hard. Maybe we should strongly recommend it, but not make it a requirement. Because you know, you're going to have some things where they just can't do that. F that. We need NIST. We need CIS. We need these different control frameworks and audit frameworks and government organizations to come in and basically be like, one, you're going to patch your stuff. Two, you're going to change default passwords. Three, you're going to make long, strong passphrases. Four, you're going to two-factor authentication, absolutely everything. You're going to go to application. Like We need to set up new standards that basically say, this is the way the world is. And I go back to PCI. Goddamn, PCI still says seven-character passwords are okay. Why? Because oh, it might be hard for some companies. Because the Russians and the Chinese, they don't care. They're not going to look at it and be like, oh, well, we shouldn't pick on them because they're running Solera Spark backends. No, they're coming. And that's what I'm talking about is how do we actually escalate this? The only lever that we can escalate on is on the defensive side. And all of our different audit and compliance frameworks that are out there are too spineless to actually come up with a compliance framework that actually puts the right security in play. Agreed. And, and we're, the, we're, the, um, we're the biggest target. That's the other big issue, right? Because mm – -hmm. It's very easy to go, well, you guys suck. You got all this stuff that's vulnerable. It's like, yeah, but we invented the stuff and we've got the most stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. that's market share, right? Yeah, it's market share. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sure, it's all old and busted, but it's our old and busted stuff. It's our old and busted. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna... so. oh, and by the way, the FBI um, does not support paying the ransom in response no. to the ransomware attack per their. No, they want companies just to roll over and die. So. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yeah, it's better for everybody. It is. Better. It is. If you just go to your dying hole, mm -hmm. that was my win. company strategy. Actually, just die. Yeah, just <laughs> die. Yeah. I mean, well, I, feel, I feel like this whole conversation this evening has come full circle. <laughs> like Probably we have, has. We have gone Probably around has. and we've come right oh, back to the whole. I can, I can make it. I can make it more full circle if you want, Joff. Yeah, let's oh, do it. So we were talking about you know just roll over and die, but what if they're too big to fail? 
Oh, <laughs> oh, no. So, are you oh, saying no. are we are you saying that we need Russia to hack somebody like Google to shut them down to like make them go away? And then they can't pay the ransom. Yes, I'm yeah. not not saying that. Like if they hack Google, interviewing is that is that the explosion we need? I could just see someone at at Amazon. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. You can't go into space again. Why? (laughs) Well, there was a attack, and we're gonna have to sell your yacht. Not my yacht, (laughs) and your spaceship. Ransom the spaceship. We have to do this. Ransom the spaceship. Jeff, I just want you to know that. The only thing you have left in your name is a small town in Canada called Shits Creek. We're going to send you and your wife there. But it's okay because we're getting new seasons and everybody Ooh, likes that. So, everyone does. And, and just as an aside, your spaceship violated our HR policy, damn it. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know. I think we talked about the last one. There was like a big, or like, uh, or what is it called, like signing list where everyone was like trying to sign up to like say, <laughs> not allow back? him back. To not allow him back from space. I'm like, how does that work? It would be funny though <laughs> if they ransomwareed him for like the codes to come back and it's like the space shuttle has been hacked and now it will not return to to uh, Earth. Sorry. Unless you have, you you have 35 or... minutes to pay Bitcoin or we will send yeah. you to the sun. So many Bitcoins. I'm like, oh man, they're going up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I well, that's, like and that's another thing. Russia, dropped off the cliff. <laughs> if we look at if we look at all of the bad things, and there's a lot of bad things, and I know people are like, "My God, these people are talking about everything burning with a smile yes, on their face." Exactly. We've known that crap's burning for the past 20 years, folks. Yeah. Like we know it's just now happening, and this is inside. We're really, really tore up over it. But on the bright side, things are only fragile till they break. Once something breaks horribly, then we see progress. Ransomware brought in EDR. We got Silence and CrowdStrike and Carbon Black. And that got things better, kind of. Yes, it did. Um, and that's awesome, right? That's awesome. If you look at Russia doing what they're doing, they're bringing on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And I think that that's great, right? Decentralizing currencies, I think, is something that we should have been doing for a long time. So there's good things that come out of this. But the point is, it's going to freaking hurt for us to get through it. So be no ready. Pain, no pain. It's a good pain. It's a good pain. Oh. It's a good pain. <laughs> right. How does that saying go? Uh, what a... Uh... What um doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? That's right. Yeah. What doesn't yeah. kill you makes you stronger. It puts you in therapy. And with that, <laughs> let's uh let's wrap this up, Ryan. Thank you very much, everybody from the BHIS team for joining. I greatly appreciate it. And to everybody that came in and watched this live, don't you have something better to do with your day? If not, <laughs> if not, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a YouTuber move that I've always wanted to do. If you guys could do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, and with he that, did it. He said it. Let's take, and let's let's Ring take the us bell, out. Yeah. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. We might not want to monetize on this episode since we were really beating on ads throughout the whole thing. Like, <laughs> it would be pretty funny. But like, ads ad. are stupid, and then like an ad pops up. <laughs> we hate our corporate overlords. And now, from a short response from Google or from Amazon, brought to you by Rage Shadow Legends. <laughs> oh God. <laughs>
Yeah, uh, that would be so funny to like mess around, like actually put an ad in while we're doing the stream, like as a joke, <laughs> just uh, Dude, talking about ads. ads. Someone make up, someone commission a fake ad for the gold Black Hills branded gold, gold helmet, foil, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gold yeah, foil. yeah blocks, all brain waves, like Black Hills gold foil. Episode. That that's in theme. It costs like a thousand dollars or whatever. <laughs> Coming now, General Store. We'd like to introduce our new product, the BHIS Gold Foil Hat. Yes, you can do it exclusively. In, yes, available in baseball and bucket form. <laughs> if you watch the show, you know that Tim does not block all NSA approved brainwaves. <laughs> NSA approved. I like that term. Yeah.